On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. You're listening to Tall Can Audio, Canada's number one craft beer-fueled sports show. I will give you a show like you have never, ever seen before. Why? Because I can. Here's your host. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Matt Robinson. What's happening, everybody? Welcome inside an all-new episode of the Tall Can Audio Podcast. My name is Matt Robinson, coming to you from our studio in beautiful Bytown, Canada. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Tall Can Audio, Facebook.com slash Tall Can Audio. I hope you'll subscribe wherever you're listening right now. Happy to be welcoming back to the show. He's been on a few times before. I think the last time he was on was just before we kicked off the uh, shortened 2021 uh, pandemic season back in January. Our buddy Jeff Vayette is here. How's it going today, man? Fantastic, man! I'm happy to be back. Uh, really appreciate you doing this. We're gonna uh, we're gonna tee up the Toronto Maple Leafs. I should let the uh, significant portion of our audience, uh, since we're based here in audio uh, in Ottawa, uh, that's into the Senators on Thursday morning, the day of the uh, the Senators' first game. We will have Graham Nichols, the sixth Sens, will be back on the podcast as well. So stick around for that. We'll tee up both of Ontario's teams, both sides of the Battle of Ontario. Um, Jeff, let me start here and. I don't want to spend a ton of time dwelling on the past because God knows Leafs Twitter has helped me do that enough over the last uh, <laughs> summer. But I'm going to set a premise and then ask you a question. And I'm going to hand it to you to either accept the premise and then answer the question or reject the premise and let me know what you kind of think in place of it. Okay. When the Toronto Maple Leafs lost to the Montreal Canadiens in seven games last year, essentially... The one thing that we all expected to be fine is the thing that went wrong. The offense dried up. Uh, Tavares got hurt. Matthews and Marner didn't produce. But largely, the defense was pretty good. The goaltending wasn't perfect, but wasn't the problem. They just didn't score. And when your top guys weren't getting it done, except for William Nylander, uh, there just wasn't enough there lower in the lineup to help pick up the slack. With that in mind, are you happy with the offseason that the Toronto Maple Leafs had? I generally agree with the premise. Um, I don't know if it's, it's a straight line to it, but the idea um, of the offense being the biggest thing that dried up is absolutely true. If you go and look at the underlyings of everything, there's shot volumes, shot quality, so on and so forth. It, it was there. Um, finishing was a, was an issue. Carey Price obviously was an issue. Uh, he's on the other side of the finishing. You can't entirely forget that. Um, I thought Jack Campbell was really good for the majority of the series. I thought the defense was fine for, for most of the series, even when Muzzin went down. 
Um, they they look pretty good, and as you mentioned, there wasn't really a lot of um, there wasn't really a lot of impact play from the forwards. Like you can look at Nealander, you can look at Spezza, you can actually kind of look at Kerfoot. I thought that was the best hockey's played That's in blue true. and white. Yeah. Um, but then beyond that, they're just. There, there, there wasn't a ton, and it was, and it was all in weird ways. Like obviously, the awful injury that happened to Tavares, and it's great that he looks like he's back in 100% shape. Um, or you have guys like Matthews, where it looked like he had a general idea of what he wanted to do, but um, whether it was his wrist or whether it was just a cold streak or a little bit of both, things weren't going in. You look at Marner, where it's not it wasn't a lack of effort. If anything, it was almost he was too concerned about doing certain things. I've and seen you those, say that before yeah. online. I think that's totally correct. He's not a guy who starts to shy away. He starts to do too much. He's, yeah, no, hundred percent. And I think that's something we can dive into deeper. But I, I think that that was a that was a big factor in all of it. So it all just kind of added up like that. What I would say. Overall, my big criticism of last year is that I feel that the Leafs strayed away from having an identity. Um, like, say what you will about a team like the New York Islanders, and I, I don't think they're um, like a contending talent team. One of the reasons that they're able to succeed is because they're all on the same page. Right. They don't necessarily all do the same things, but they have a lot of overlapping traits. They buy into it, and they go out and give you that every single shift. There's a general ethos to how they play. You look at Tampa Bay, same kind of thing. A much more skilled version of it, and that's the reason why they're the, they're the ones of two Stanley Cups, but it's there. Even Montreal a little bit. I think they had a fortunate run, but they were all bought into the components that made that uh, that, that work for the time being. They didn't really waver from it, even in the, in the times where, where there was reason to second-guess it, and they stuck to it, and, and it, it worked just enough for them to um, to make some noise. I think there's a value in that still, no, ma- no matter what. If you if you're the best team, you're not going to be the best team if you're not all on the same page. I think the Leafs lost some of that last year. I think there was an element where, for whatever reason, because maybe because of the playoffs, the playoff losses before, they were kind of concerned about okay, we need a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, and it almost got stretched into like a jack of all trades, master of none kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, too many veteran presences, not like a weird balance of them, middle aged guys. Young guys, um, the pendulum almost swung too hard back the other way. Right? Yeah, it was, it was, it, it, it was weird, and it, it was, it wasn't like full like old school, but it was also very much like maybe they're right. Maybe we should try some stuff. I mean, the best way to put it um, to to throw a bow at someone right away is like if at the end of the trade deadline, the front cover, the Toronto Sun. Uh, says great job, Doobie Leafs on the way to being a Stanley Cup contender from Steve Simmons. Um, you know that uh, you you maybe need to second guess if the operation worked the right, the right way. The fact that every single person who you've been trying to to to, to prove your point to is all is all on board makes you kind of wonder. And that's kind of what ended up happening in the end. The Leafs didn't really have what they had in previous years. Like you, you can say, Oh, well may, maybe being all in offense doesn't work, but they weren't even that they didn't, they, they, they didn't have that, that eagerness across the lineup. There was only a couple of guys who really fit that mold. And by the end of it, it was like, if you, you lose one or two of those guys, be it to injury or themselves, then you're, then you're in trouble. And I think that's kind of where it went this summer's acquisitions it seems like they went for guys who are more in the same age group as the core guys who seem to have something to prove on the offensive end and they want to prove that they're in their next contracts um they that they're capable of contributing that to a team 
the fact that they went short term with so many guys also means that they have a lot to prove for contract time, right. guys like Richie, Kasha, uh, Bunting, so on and so forth. It just seems like there's more of a same page kind of identity here. And it's not, and it doesn't necessarily mean physicality or not. In some cases, you got guys who are a little grittier, like Richie, and guys who aren't quite there, but like Kasha, uh, guys who are a little bit more defensive, like, like uh, Camp, David Kampf. But there, there's there's an existence there of of overlapping traits. Um, there that there's that speed, that general way of thinking the game, um, the the willingness to pitch in in the offensive zone that uh, I think got lost for a little bit. Um, so I was not going to sit here and say, oh, it's a plus team of destiny, eighty two and zero, especially <laughs> this team. Um, maybe the eighty two and zero, maybe not the sixteen and zero afterwards. <laughs> um, but. Um, it, it, it looks like something more in the right direction right now. Well, I, I can say this. You're consistent because in preparing for the show, I went back and listened to our chat before uh, the 2021 season. And you you were concerned at that time, as was I a little bit. But you were more raising the, the concern a little bit that it seems a little disjointed. It might be fine. We'll see. But there was a lot of going into last season. Uh, and you can throw Zach Bogosian into this, Wayne Simmons, Joe Thornton. They were starting to kind of you know, it, it felt like maybe Dubas was taking criticism for being this, you know, all offense, all, you know, um, one style thing. And it almost felt like it overswung the other way. Now, I don't know how you feel. I thought Zach Bogosian turned out to be better than I expected him to be yeah. for the Leafs. Um, Wayne Simmons, I don't know. A lot of people talk about this great start and then the injury being the thing that sewered him. I, I guess the start was better in terms of numbers, but he still didn't feel that great to me. Jumbo got a chance to start on the first line. By the end, he was on the fourth line. And then in the playoffs, he's back on the number one power play. That just didn't really work. But it did feel like Kyle maybe, or the organization, I don't know if maybe they pushed him, leaned into this narrative that, okay, we got to go back the other way. And they overshot it a little bit. I like this summer a little bit. As you reference a guy like David Kampf that comes back. He's a younger guy. He still has a purpose, right, to be a defensive player that you're almost certainly just going to bury his line in the defensive zone for almost every D zone face off. Like, mm-hmm. but it fits a little bit more instead of just these guys who have name brand value for being grit, right? As a, this seems a little more well thought out. I, I personally don't think long-term Nick Ritchie belongs with Matthews and Marner. I don't think he's a number one line guy, but we'll see. He's younger. He's still got a, you know, stuff you can prove here a little bit. It just feels like the pieces that they've brought in a little bit have kind of, maybe the pendulum has swung a little bit more back into the center of what they should have tried to do last year. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think the brand name factor that you you bring up is a big thing. It's easy to sell someone on you, uh, you're changing your identity away from the spreadsheets if they know who exactly you're using. Yeah. And I think that kind of played a bit of a factor and there were just a whole bunch of other small little things involved too like when you look at the jumbo signing like it was like it was super cool because it was like oh they got joe thornton sure we love thornton. um yeah. exactly but at the same time it was like they kind of signed him just because you know they had been trying for so many years and this yeah. time he said yes it would maybe if they hadn't tried before they wouldn't have been as interested it almost just felt like they felt like they had to complete it to to get on the right track sort of thing and i and it and it comes from everyone and it includes dubis like I, I've heard I've heard from a few people now that uh, like the Felino trade at the deadline that was very much him driven. Yeah. That was he thought that that was the guy he was interested in going that road instead of say a Taylor Hall or a Kyle Palmieri that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so so it, like he's responsible just as much as everybody else is. Um, 
but I, I do like the way that that this is kind of taking shape, and I, I and, and that's not to say that some of those brand names aren't uh, aren't useful because like I'm probably higher on Simmons than you are. I think I am in the boat of people who feel that he was better before the injury. And I actually, and I, and I think I was there earlier than a lot of other people in that regard. Cause I do like the way that he thinks the game still, I think he still finds himself uh, in good positions and he's able to make smart decisions with the puck. Uh, I think after the injury though, it was harder for him to actually just physically move it and, and, and get better, better shots and battle for position and that sort of thing. So I am curious to see how this year goes. Um, but yeah, as a whole, the fact that they they have a lot of guys in the similar position of we have something to prove, right? Um, be it playoff failures or just trying to get the next contract, it's all going to be guys who are determined that are constantly competing with each other. The short term depth guys are fighting for their next jobs. This is going to be their entire contract as training camp. And that I think is going to be a huge factor in terms of driving uh, the competitive edge inside inside the room um and i and i think for the big guys they just know not to take this for granted anymore that anything can kind of slip away from them and that time is running out on on this because if they get into the same position again be it through bad luck or through their own performance then uh who knows what the future might bring well let's stay on wayne simmons for a minute because i want you to elaborate a little bit on why you you know maybe are a little bit more confident than i am and i think it wouldn't shock me if he came out and, and was pretty productive this year in terms of the role that he's been given. I know the guys seem to like him. I understand why the organization would value what he brings, but he has had a ton of really hard miles on him. Uh, I don't think it's fair for anyone to expect that he's still going to go out and be 30 goals and, you know, these sorts of things. But at the same time, the thing that concerns me a little bit is that two-year contract, which obviously you had to do to get the cap number down a little bit. And I felt last year like maybe... They were worried about um, what it would do to the room or, you know, what happens if you bench or scratch a Joe Thornton or a Wayne Simmons, right? You have so much respect for these guys, both from a management perspective and knowing that the rest of the team does. And if by chance it doesn't work out, are you actually prepared to bury a Wayne Simmons in the minors if it doesn't work? And so for that reason... I was a little concerned about the contract. I don't really object to the idea that you're going to bring him back in a fourth role uh, or fourth line role to see what he has. You know, in theory, I'm fine with that idea. I just wonder if you've boxed yourself in a little bit again, which it did feel last year at times a little like they had done with all these veterans. You got Spezza, you got, um, you know, you had Thornton, you had uh, Simmons, and you just, you know, what does it say to the room if you do that to one of your vets does that make sense yeah no it does make a lot of sense and i but i do also think that the situation there may have evolved a little bit especially on simmons's end it's different when you're making above the variable threshold he was making one and a half million uh last season i think his cap hit now is at nine hundred thousand dollars which means that if they were to send him down uh he'd be able to clear so i think perspective there kind of changes a little bit mm-hmm. for me i see him as a guy who's going who's going to rotate in and out of the lineup i don't know what the percentage share is whether it's 80 20 70 30 50 50 um but i i think that the, that they're going to be a little bit more uh cautious and yeah and almost look at it as like a load management kind of thing saying hey okay you've been beat up by injuries over these past few years uh we have a lot of depth to work with 
how about some of the nights where we're not as worried about the physical edge, especially now that you have Richie up to, uh, mm-hmm. up top who can take some of that responsibility on, hey, okay, well, let's let, let's sit back for this one. Let's say this game is a little bit more of a track meet. Maybe we put in an Engvall. Uh, I, I guess now, I guess in this case, you are printing him in no matter what yeah. is, recent recent events. But uh, you, you know what I mean. Like you, you can play a little bit around more for style, and I and I think that you Simmons think they're going to be willing to. I think so, and I and I mean, and I think the fact that it's a multi-year commitment um, shows some kind of some, some understanding there. They they were able to guarantee him a little bit of money to kind of be a, along with this plan, mm-hmm. and with an understanding that the this could be the outcome. I don't think that you get under that variable number without some degree of understanding. And I think you look at a guy like Spezza, who's accepted that from time to time. Now his balance is obviously a lot higher because yeah. he's been a higher caliber of player. So he's been more like a 90, 10 playing guy. Uh, but at the same time you can, you, know, you turn around and say, okay, well he was third in the league in point sixty. Of course, they're not going to keep him over too, too long. Simmons doesn't necessarily have that same leash. Uh, but uh, it, there, there, there's ways to play around it, and I think with him, you're looking at him playing more fourth line this time. The expectation yeah. has dropped a little bit because of how yeah, they uh, the, top the six season times ended last year. Exa- exactly, yeah. and and I mean, there might be nights where he might it might make sense yeah. to put him up there. Like if you think it's going to be a really tough game and someone's going to go take a run at Matthews or whatever, you can run him there for a few shifts just, just to be sure, and then float him back down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously, it can't be a regular arrangement anymore until he. He, he proves otherwise, and you never know. It's possible he might get one more, uh, one 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 more jolt to the feet. Um, it, it's likely that they're going to look at him as more of a of a bottom six guy, someone who's going to be in and out of lineup a little bit. And I think he's going to be okay with that. Uh, did you watch All or Nothing? I did. I did one quick kind of like one night, just blaster it. So uh, there was two things, I guess, coming out of that that um, that I didn't tell you ahead of time I was going to ask you about, but they've come to me as you've brought them up here. One was uh, Jason Spezza, and there was a lot of attention paid to that game six um, going into overtime, the speech that uh, that Sheldon Keefe gave. And I got to tell you, the thing that was far more interesting to me was the second intermission of game seven, where Morgan Riley spoke and Jason Spezza spoke. And I found that to be really interesting because I guess I didn't really know how much pull Spezza had in the locker room. I knew he was loved. I know his teammates respect him, all these sorts of things. But he's always sort of seemed willing to sit back and defer, right? This is Matthew's team. This is Tavares' team. This is Marner's team. And he does the things quietly in practice and, you know, that you want a leader to do. But he gave this impassioned speech in between the second and third period of Game 7 where, like, as his voice is growing, he's standing up and he's, like, begging these guys, like, for 20 more minutes, we still have a chance to do this. Um, The captain was out of the lineup. Uh, I wasn't necessarily surprised that Morgan Riley spoke. But were you surprised that he featured so prominently in a situation like that? Because he just feels a little more like the, I'm here to support guys rather than to be the... Uh, you know the raw raw guy. I, at least that had been my interpretation. I don't know. I think uh, I think a lot of that is more on the public facing side. Like he understands who the superstars are in town, and he doesn't want to distract from that. Nor honestly, for a lot of this current generation, can he really distract from yeah. that? He he knows that he's kind of uh, he's he, he's more in tune with our age group than he is with the sure. the, the the younger fans. <laughs> um, but uh, but you you've seen moments where he's been. Where he's shown his anchor value to the team, like I think back with Game Four, not last playoffs, but the previous playoffs right. in the bubble against 
Columbus, and that whole comeback starts from him from him dropping the gloves because he was just so frustrated. Who with was that against? Now he beat up some like it was a I, I, I don't, European I, yeah. defenseman or something. Yeah, I don't like remember. It, was, it, it, it wasn't anybody notable, but it was, but it was something that got sure. the tights turning, and it turned into what was probably their most interesting comeback of uh, of this team's era. It's yeah. probably it, it, it might be the most positive playoff moment that they, they they've had. So, uh, yeah, exciting. I know it's a, it's a low bar. <laughs> um, but but yeah, like th- this is just kind of what he's he's been about. He he's very quietly been uh, a big time leader on the uh, on this team, and there are, and there are a bunch of guys who kind who command that same kind of respect in the room, which is which is good to have. You don't want it to just be um, the guy that you the guys that you slap the letters on for marketing reasons. Yeah. Uh, speaking, not to say that those guys aren't contributing to the conversation, but it can't just be them. You need guys like Spezza. Um, Jake Muzzin is a guy who. Who's a, who does a lot of that? Even even a guy like Justin Hall has a, has his share of pull because he's mm-hmm. played with so many of the guys in both the Leafs and Marley's organization, and he's been around for such a long time. Um, there, you you need those voices, and and Spezza understands that because he's been a captain before in Ottawa, and he's been an alternate in Ottawa and Dallas. It's been it, 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 he doesn't present himself as the guy to the world, but he understands the responsibility, and it really means something to him. And I think that's what. Uh, his biggest factor is, is that when he shows he cares, you know that he's not just trying to do it because it's the job. You know that it's his genuine self. Yeah, I can tell you doing uh, you know this show here and living here in town that maybe the only thing that Senators and Leafs fans agree on is love for Jason Spezza. So, mm-hmm. um, look, the other thing before we dive into kind of the meat of this season, uh, I want to you know, sort of stay on camp here just for a second and get your take on what you saw from Josh Hosang. And I thought it was obviously a, a no-brainer risk over the summer to invite him to camp on a PTO, see how he's doing, see what might still be in the tank. And and uh, Senators fans speaking, living here in town, love the phrase that the Leafs fixed Galchenyuk or uh, whatever, <laughs> see if they can fix Josh Hosang. Um, he showed a lot of what I would expect a very highly skilled one-time first-round pick to show at an NHL training camp, right? He looked pretty pretty good when the games didn't matter. This isn't a criticism, but just none of these games have mattered. Um, but he did look solid. He did make some nice plays. They gave him every opportunity to succeed. Most of his minutes were played with other skill players instead of being further down uh, in the lineup. And we do know that the organization is aware of that because in that all or nothing series, we saw a disagreement between Keefe and Dubas about how to use Galchenyuk. And uh, Dubas was pretty emphatic. If we're just going to bring him in and drop him into the bottom six, we're doing what everybody else has done recently. Let's send him down. Let's get him. Let's see what's there. Let's see what's under the hood. Let's get him used to our systems and develop him a little bit. Uh, what did you see from Josh Hosang? Were you surprised he was sent to the the Marlies and, and got a contract there? And do you think there's enough meat on the bone there that that move made yet down the road pay off for the Leafs? No, I absolutely do. I couldn't be happier of how all this has gone. And I don't think that that contract is going to stay just an AHL contract for the entirety of this season. Mm-hmm. Um, when when they had announced the move, I was uh, I was thrilled. I, well, I'd heard about it a couple of days before that something was going on. Um, 
but uh, he, he he this is a guy who's not had the best run of uh, of it over the course of his career. Mm-hmm. At the same time, there are uh, there are, have been cases where he hasn't entirely helped himself in terms of um, in terms of his commitment level, and he hasn't. There's some flaws in his game that he hadn't dre- addressed before, mostly in the uh, in the defensive end, right. um, which fine by me. You know me, most <laughs> defense in our lifetime. Uh, but um, but but yeah, he he, he hadn't. I, I don't I don't want to say he was like down on himself, but there there just wasn't the commitment to break through um, what he had been through, and what he had been through was obviously something where he where it wasn't fully um, deserved. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was a great opportunity for him. It was a chance to 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 come back home. It was a chance to prove himself to a to a more progressive kind of organization in terms of how uh, how they see the game. Uh, and at the same time, it was also like, uh, this could be your last shot if you don't make the most of it. Right. And the, just the energy and the, the way that he spoke of the opportunity and what he's learned over the past year was, was really commendable. Like he, he, he had all the right notes when he, he even just speaking to the press about, uh, what his journey was and his relationship with Lamorello and how things went in Sweden and how that may have not been his best run performance wise. And it, it, it really wasn't something that inspired you in terms of how he contributed, but he, he said he had learned a lot from coaches and management there and gave him a new perspective on life. And it, it shows like the way that the, the, the eagerness he had to, be a part of this and do whatever he could to, to contribute um, was Evan. And then when you look at the games, you saw a lot of what he used to be about. You saw his strong playmaking ability, the fact that he's got super, super smooth hands. There's a lot of pure talent there. Yeah, Michael Bunting um, having like yeah. five preseason goals is largely as a result of all those minutes with Hosea. Yeah, ex- <laughs> exactly. Um, and even his mobility seemed a little bit sharper. And I think that's something that will continue to improve. So for me, it was a no brainer to keep him in the organization. I think it's really um, unique how they're doing it in the sense that they're signing him to an AHL contract. And I guarantee you, it's not a cheap one. It's going to be a, a substantial amount of money to keep him, uh, to keep him there. And the play there is essentially that if they sign him to an AHL deal, they don't have to run him through waivers. Right. And when they decide that it's time to graduate him, they don't have to run him through that way either. So this is so this is their way to make sure that they keep the asset and they keep him developing. And obviously, if it turns out that it's not going to work out, he also has the out to sign for another team without having to worry about uh, a trade or a contract termination or anything like that. So it really benefits both of them. Mm-hmm. But if we see the commitment that we saw in, in the start of this preseason, uh, I think we're looking at a high-end AHL player at the absolute minimum and someone who come trade deadline maybe or maybe even a little bit sooner if there's injuries could find his way into the NHL lineup. He gives them an opportunity that if they see maybe a, a quantity for quality trade and they need to shed a couple of guys for for a higher-end player, they know that they have him to to, to look towards and he gives them something that they can slide even into their top six just because he has the creativity that he does and you don't necessarily need him to be a true first or second line player when he's going to be playing with two star players and I think that's a that's a big thing to remember when discussing the depth of, of this team too is that these guys, well, they need to be able to keep up. They don't necessarily need to be equals. Uh, they just need to be able to bring something yeah. to, to those two pairs. 
if you're going to see him in the NHL this year with the Toronto Maple Leafs, which he seemed to, you know, wouldn't shock you if you saw that happen this year, it's it's probably got to be in the top six and it likely means maybe a Marner or a Nylander or somebody like that is out for a couple of games and he needs to slot into a spot like that. Like, mm-hmm. you, you can't really play him in the bottom six, right? Like, that's just not what he's built for. You could theoretically maybe do it on a line, let's say him, um, Camp and Kasha, just to kind of be the um, be the less defensive of the three, just so they kind of balance him out. Mm-hmm. But I think ideally you would want him in the top six, even if it's a case of him playing left wing with those two guys yeah. healthy. Um, with, with the shooters that they have on those lines, I think it's still possible for them to have two playmakers on one of them. So we'll have to see, but I think the opportunity is there for him. And I think that, that I've, I've never seen him this determined in this, in the right frame of mind to uh, approach an opportunity like this as someone who's rooted for him for a very long time and wants to see him succeed. I think this is going to be the best opportunity he's got, um, to get his career back on track. And I think it's possible. Uh, Ilya Mikheyev's had a hard road here. He uh, he got off to a real nice start when he came over two years ago, had that brutal uh, wrist injury right just before Christmas or right around Christmas of his first season. Um, he comes back in time for the bubble, but he's hardly played in months. Um, so you're willing to kind of give him a pass there. Last year, he gets dropped back in uh, as they play the, the bubble season or whatever you want to call it there. And it doesn't go great. Um, he's fine defensively. He's doing but but he never had a great shot to begin with, and now it looks like maybe that's a bit of an issue. Uh, and we learn that at the end of the season, he asks for a trade because uh, he kind of got third-lined a bit. And it looked to me, as we went through training camp, like they were trying to, I don't want to overstate it, but placate him a little bit, right? Okay, let's let's see. Like Here's some minutes with, with Tavares and Nylander, and we're going to give you that top six role when I think a lot of us, and, and you can disagree, obviously, uh, if if you do, that I thought he might fit more nicely with Kampf and Kasha as a more defensively responsible uh, line that, again, might get buried a bit, but doesn't answer his concerns as wanting to still be a scorer and a point producer. So at least it appeared they were going to allow him to start in the top six and just see how it went. Uh, he breaks his thumb, I believe it is, uh, mm-hmm. here at camp. He's out for a minimum of eight weeks. And if you're already worrying about a guy just trying to get his shot back and trying to get his hands back a little bit, this is another, like, you never want to see anybody get hurt, but you'd almost have been like, you know, a shoulder or an ankle or something different that doesn't necessarily impact his hands. Um, this is a huge setback, don't I believe, and for a guy like Mikheyev. What are your thoughts on how this has gone? Well, there's a there's a lot there. Firstly, I'll kind of uh, touch on one thing where that you had mentioned with uh, where you would place him line wise. Mm-hmm. I don't really think that that was so much placating him. Uh, when you look at the the Captain Kasha line, you'll notice that most of the time they had Nikita Gusev there. Yeah, yep. he was uh, he was a PTO guy who did not. Um, they did not make the cut. Just signed and back in I, Russia yeah. today, I believe. Yeah. Oh well, good for him. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Fly uh, goose. That was the um, that was the bigger thing at play there. It wasn't so much that they didn't think Mikheyev would fit in something like that. 
they thought the best opportunity for Gusev was to put him on a line similar to what I was saying with theoretically putting Hosang there, but right. saying an even more extreme because Gusev is not a good defensive player. He's he he's not strong on the puck in that regard. He doesn't really have the positioning. He's not very mobile. So for them, they felt that he would need to be the offensive driver of a defensive line, so to hmm. speak. That was his opportunity to try to make the team. He didn't quite reach the expectations that they had for him, and that was that. So I, I, I think when you're looking at uh, Mikheyev, it's more that they felt he was more a one-two than he was a four. Okay. Um, as for him, yeah, he's had like the unluckiest road here. He missed over half of 2019-20 with the with, with the, his wrist injury. Um, Obviously, couldn't fill a breakaway to save his life after uh, he he came back. Um, Very Grabner esque. Uh, yeah, yeah. Asks for <laughs> asks for this trade, which I understand. He he's here to try to prove that he's an NHL quality player, and he doesn't have a lot of time left uh, to really assert himself. Mm-hmm. And um, and the Leafs said, "Hey, okay, well, we'll instead we're going to try to give you a shot uh, here because we really do value as a you as a player." I think actually bringing up all or nothing, you'll remember that the very last scene they show um, they show Dubis's magnet board, and it's the big four and Mikheyev. Right. Uh, so there, there, there's a little message there that hey, yeah. we think that this guy is something, um, and I think they're they're right to think that he's something. He's a six foot three guy who flies like the wind, has decently. Uh, decent uh, defensive responsibility. He isn't shy about uh, about playing in physical areas. There's a lot to like there, mm-hmm. uh, but obviously it just has not worked out on an injury front. And now with the thumb breaking on the same hand, if I recall correctly, um, that's uh, it. Couldn't it couldn't get worse for him. At the same time, you can kind of almost also argue that uh, because it's the same hand, it's going to mean um, he he might have to take some new approaches as he rehabs, and maybe that kind of helps him. Uh, in that regard, it almost um, o- almost a reason to go back to the drawing board on his finishing uh, stuff. So it could it could make him worse. It could also make him better. But more importantly, it makes him unavailable, which for a player who's trying to prove himself in this league is very unfortunate. I think it's actually more unfortunate for him personally than it is for the rest of the team, given that so many of their depth pieces have lived up to what they were hoping yeah. for and have actually given them uh, a lot of wiggle room uh, to, um, to to play around with the lineup. Uh, if you're a guy like Pierre Engvall, it probably saved your time as a Maple Leaf uh, yeah. to see see that injury and then uh, and then score right afterwards too. Uh, that probably helped as well. Um, so for the Leafs, I think, yeah, it's a, it's a slight negative because he's a player that can – give them at least middle six capability, but uh, for him, it hurts a lot more and it's, uh, it's terrible, man. Yeah, no, he's had a hell of a, a rough run. And I think, you know, when he burst into the league, he got off to a pretty nice start. I think we all kind of chose this guy as someone to pull for, right? We're happy to see him yeah. and, uh, and it's rough to see how it's gone. So we'll see when he gets back, what, uh, what that looks like. Uh, one of the other storylines through camp, and I liked it early on. I wasn't shocked by it. You see a lot of organizations do it. But early on, they were pairing a lot of their young, inexperienced defensemen with some of their more uh, experienced defensemen. And I think we all knew as the season approached, you would see Muzzin and Hall put back together. You'd see Riley and Brody put back together. There'd be no reason not to. But you wanted to give your Sandines and your Lilligrins a chance. And they even gave um, Dermot a, you know, a game or two with, uh, with Morgan Riley because they wanted to see him play on the right side against... You know, high-end minutes and higher-end opponents, at least the ones that you're going to see in the preseason. Uh, but as we 
get here to the end of camp, you have started to see, even in some recent practices, that it's Sandine and Liljegren playing together, which you could easily read into as that that might be where they are leaning to start the season. But it's also worth noting that Travis Dermott is battling some sort of calf injury. Um, but uh, at the same time, we've seen Keith say that, you know, they're still sort of waiting on Dermott to show just a little bit more where you're starting to push into the top four. Um, what do you make of the three guys pushing for the third pair on defense? Is this, you know, them trying to give Liljegren every chance this year to, to finally make this happen? Or do you believe that they actually think he may have outplayed Dermott here in camp and, and may get that starting shot? I think there's a couple of things there. And I mean, firstly, it's a good point you brought up with them playing them with the the more veteran players. And it's really interesting who they tend to play the most minutes with. Like you mentioned, Dermot playing with Riley. Uh, and then there was Muzzin. Spent, um, Lily Agrin spent most of his time with Muzzin yep. and Sandin most of the time with Brody. And those are guys who kind of mimic the play styles that they want. Um, that, that, that they... The, the, those are the guys that they want to aspire to, or at least aspire to compliment. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, there's a lot of Muslin's play style in Liljegren. There's a lot of Riley's play style in, in Dermot, maybe not as much on the offensive side, but in, in, in the two way side, it's there. It's a lot of, there's a lot of Brody and how's handing plays and it's a way for them to almost kind of uh, look up and learn uh, from, uh, from the, from the guys who have already earned it. So I thought that, I thought that was definitely interesting. Looking at where everybody stands, um, I think it's going to be largely a rotation for at least the first 20, 25 games uh, just to kind of see who's able to handle um, the, the, the environment because um, you never know in any given season who's going to break out, who's going to stagnate, yeah. so on and so forth. As far as pecking order goes, that one's kind of tough to say. I know that Lilia Grant has been on uh, on the Leafs' radar for NHL minutes for quite a bit of time now. They felt he was NHL ready last year. There just wasn't really the room for him. Uh, so this is his opportunity to really cement that. Uh, Dermot, I know, can be... Um, he, he, he's one of those guys where on one hand, he's definitely like one of those analytic starlings. On the other hand, he does it without playing a uh, tough competition yeah. and he can be frustrating at times with the mistakes that he makes, be it, um, be it things like turnovers or just getting physical at the wrong times and losing his cool a bit. Um, and he's also running the risk of being the oldest one of that group. He's 25 now, whereas the, uh, well, about to turn 25, sorry. And uh, well, while, while Sandin and Lilia Grin are 21 and, and 20, I believe, uh, or 21 and 22, one of the two. Right. Uh, so they, 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 they've got a few, they've got a few years on him and they have time to grow and they're still not looking at their primes. Whereas Dermot's kind of staring his right in the face. It's not necessarily now or never for him to be an NHLer, but it's now or never for him to make the leap as you alluded to with the, the quote from Keith, if he's going to be a guy that you can trust to play, uh, those, the, those top four minutes. And if the Leafs, both the first and second pair play high quality competition. Um, he, he's going to have to do it sooner than later. Uh, I think that is something that they they have slight concerns with. And if they're and if there, there's a situation where the two young Swedes can play well together as a pair, he could end up being the odd man out. Um, and I do think that if they're going to upgrade as the season comes, it's going to have to be uh, in a way that includes multiple roster players, uh, both for salary and total asset value reasons. So uh, with Dermot also making the most out of the three, I believe, yeah. by uh, 
think he almost makes as much as the two put together. I think it's uh, I think it's pretty key for him to to step up sooner than later. Um, we'll see what this injury brings, but uh, it's it's entirely possible that Louis Agrin, uh, whether he's beaten him out for a spot or is at least knocking on the door in a way that uh, that the way that should put some heat under Dermot. Uh, I think that's there. I and I I think this is a year to be. Uh, intrigued by by what Liljegren does because he's uh, he's he's looked capable for a long time. He drove play very well for the Marlies for several seasons. Mm-hmm. He's he still has this amazing first pass. He's gone physical. Um, he's got that right-handed shot. He doesn't play a ton of power play, but he can if he needs to. He's played lots of PK. He's learned from all the from the tweeners that the Leafs have had in the organization, the Marinsons, the Rosens, the whatever, and say what you will about their total packages, but they they all have strengths to their games that he's picked up from. Um, and he could be a pretty solid all-around defenseman, not maybe in the same play style as people thought of him heading into his draft year right. uh, before he had fallen and fallen down the ranks, but something different that could uh, that could have more upside um, than, than Dermot does, and I think that's what matters uh, to the Leafs a lot in this conversation. Sandine's spot seems relatively safe, yeah. but at the same time, he he he's still a younger guy and he still has his mistakes too. His spot isn't guaranteed either. Um, to me, I think the the, the logical long term progression is going to be Sandin and Liljegren. But for at least the first third to half of the season, uh, I, I expect there's going to be a lot of variety, a lot of tinkering, a lot of experimenting uh, to see what exactly they've got in the trail. Yeah, I think you're right there. It's a lot of, um, especially with Dermot, you know, being pushed to play both sides. You know, you could see an, uh, almost a very predictable rotation, right? That it's it's Sandine and Dermot, and then uh, Dermot goes out and Lilligren goes in with Sandine, and then Sandine comes out and Dermot's back on the left side with Lilligren. Like, I think you could see a lot of this as we move forward as they try and um, measure out and see what this is going to be, when, what they've got in these two young kids. Uh, the team is being dropped back into the Atlantic division. I don't know how much you made... Uh, I do actually from following you on Twitter of the criticism uh, that the Canadian division wasn't any good. Um, But we are back now into the traditional divisions and one way or another, we're going to see what this team is made of. I don't think there's any question that the team is good enough to be a very good regular season team. The questions have always come in the playoffs. In fact, I think it's more likely that the Leafs finish first in the division than miss the playoffs. So uh, we'll see what that's going to look like, but you know you are back in with uh, a pretty good Panthers team. The Lightning has lost their entire third line, but they're also dropping back in some pretty interesting pieces, uh, like good organizations do. The Bruins, I would like it very much if they would hurry up and fall apart, but that doesn't appear to be imminent. Uh, I don't know. Some people like Montreal more than I do. I think most people expect Ottawa to be a little bit better. Uh, what do you make of this division this year, and sort of how do you see the Leafs fitting into it? Um, I probably agree if you have the idea that they're more likely to win the division than they are to finish out of a playoff picture. Uh, same time, as you mentioned, there is some quality here. I mean, I, I'm on the boat of the Canadian division not being as bad as people made it out to be. I think that there was a lower ceiling outside of Toronto, but a higher floor. Yes, And it meant that most games were pretty competitive. Even Ottawa was a team that would at least wear you down. Um, when you were facing them, well, the only that's time who really... we ended up having the hardest time with, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, you know, the only team that really wasn't competitive was Vancouver post yes. uh, their big COVID outbreak, right. and even before that, they were like they were still the Canucks, but they 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 weren't uh, like chased out of the building. They were in, uh, in a league outside <laughs> their own. Other other leagues, uh, I mean, other divisions had team worse bad teams. Mm-hmm. 
though they may have had a few more good teams. That's what I think it really was. Was the was Canadian division was more balanced. The gaps were bigger. Yeah, in other exactly. Yeah. The, the, this is going to be a little bit different. Obviously, Tampa are still Tampa. At the end of the day, they still kept all their star players. Mm-hmm. Um, Losing the, losing the secondary depth obviously hurts, but that's kind of been their whole thing as they come at you in waves. If, if a couple of guys pop out, they can put a few more in. Um, plus, they'll probably end up making a trade of the Rangers at some point this season because <laughs> that's just the way it goes. Um, Boston, it, it, a lot of it is so reliant on the perfection line uh, and how long um, they're able to, to keep it going. How long it stays perfect. Yeah, yeah, and it seems like the torch is slowly passed over time on who's driving it. Uh, where it started as Bergeron as a driver, then it's Marsh, and we're starting to get to the point where those two are getting a little bit older, and it's going to be Pasternak's. Yeah. Uh, um, he's going to be the one leading the way. Um, but Marshan still seems like he's going to be an elite player for at least a few more years, so that that should hold them over. Uh, adding Hall is obviously, and and keeping him at good money is mm-hmm. obviously uh, good value for them. And um, and and McAvoy has looked uh, fantastic. You can you could tell last year that in previous years, as crazy as it sounds, Chara may have been holding him back a little bit. Um, he's looking like an elite defenseman in this league, but once you get past that kind of group, it's a little bit empty. And then in net, you have questions too. Is Lena Solmark going to be able to fill in? Are they, is Tuka Rask going to come back? Whether it's to the league in general or with the Bruins, if he does. So that can go a lot of ways. Florida is another team where it can go a lot of ways. Oh, who knows how real they were last year, but they seem pretty competitive and they have a bunch of players who have taken tremendous strides and they're probably very happy now too, to have Barkov, uh, committed to term they don't have that distraction going around them it's a nice little and, deal I, I think that's fair for both sides i like that yeah it's a it, it's decent enough barkov's an elite player and yeah. they, they they get most of the, the years that they want to so it's it's kind of hard to complain about that one um their their biggest question is probably going to be in net with spencer knight going to be a calder trophy candidate is bobrovsky going to back up. is bobrovsky <laughs> going to be good like there's that could go a lot of ways it could be uh it could be an elite duo it could be what sinks them out of a playoff spot and then and then you go through the rest of it it's like okay well the senators seem seem like they're making some strides but at the same time we don't know what's up with brady kachuk yet um the red wings are still kind of developing uh what what they are and i don't know if they've made enough strides to to cement themselves as really in the conversation i don't think montreal is particularly good this year and obviously losing weber is a big loss losing to and tatar is a big loss i know I don't this know. is a, a leaf centric conversation what do you think of the suzuki contract um i think nick suzuki is a really good player i don't really like the contract i, I think i think it's good for them that they they got the years yeah i think securing a core piece um into his late 20s is always good an eight-year contract on a core player mm-hmm. uh out of an elc is always good i think it's a lot of money right i think it's a lot of money i think <laughs> there's a bet there that this is a patrice bergeron type player um and there was a lot of hype going around the season i don't know that it's certain that he um exceeds it i saw people today talking about like how does how does he make less than marner and it's just, are you kidding me <laughs> like marner put up 94 points in his contract year and uh, and i he got he got overpaid and he still deserved more than than suzuki did i this saw year. your and tweets I, on that and yeah, i preferred my, I, re- pref- yeah. I preferred your response to the reply with now do the playoffs yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and 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 marner was more productive even with yes. the garbage years he's had in the last few years added like yeah, yeah I, 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 
people people forget the difference between a potential star and an actual superstar um and people are too it's, it's, there's it's almost not. like and there's a correction on, on Marner that's really weird. We can get into that later. Um, but no, I, I think Suzuki's a really nice piece for the Habs moving forward. When they made the trade um, to trade Pacioretty and he was one of the core pieces going back, I was one of the biggest supporters of that deal. I thought they ran away with it, getting Suzuki Tatar in the first round pick for him. Mm-hmm. And Pacioretty was still good. But at the same time, it's clear that, 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 um, that Montreal won that deal. I, I just don't know about the money. Uh, but it's I also tough, eh? this yeah. young, like now that I've, and I, power to them, like these, these young players are making sure they get paid for their best years. So 100%. I, I got no beef with that, but it's just hard when they're getting it this young to predict what that guy is going to be. Right. I, it, I, it looks like he's going to be an elite two way center, but do I know that for sure? After, I don't know what's he played 150 games. I maybe yeah, not. I'm, yeah, I think it's like 125 regular season and about 30 playoffs. And yeah. I do think that if you're a young player and you're already showing pure stardom, yep. then you then you can get paid. I don't know if Suzuki is quite there yet. He's shown very good. Mm-hmm. I mean, to to bring a leafy and comparable, like would you have done this if Nazem Kadri right. all, all, all those years back? It feels it feels like a lot. It just it, it feels like a lot for a guy who's paced out to to 90 points, not 90 points, 60 points in his best season. Um, and I, I also wonder a little bit about just how much we're hyping the defensive play. I think he's a good defensive player. I'm not sure if I'm counting Selkies just yet. Okay. <laughs> so when you put all that together, it's like, I don't know. I, 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 do you think you're getting Sean Couturier, but you, you haven't actually seen it yet? It's a, it's a risk, yeah. and, it's, and it's totally... A Mark could Bergen, pay off. I think, to take that risk, and it could pay off. And the important up. thing was the years for them, yes. but it's but it's a lot of money. Um, so you said uh, a few minutes ago, as we get back into the division here, just before oh, we yeah. move so back to the Leafs, is Montreal. Montreal's a little bit weaker. The Detroit's still on their way. Yeah. Senators got to figure out Kachuk. Panthers, we'll we'll see, but they're probably good. Tampa's always good. Buffalo uh, is, uh, Buffalo is I not saw that practice game. lineup. Oh my god! Like the lines that they look like they're going to open opening night with. This could be a tragic season in uh, Buffalo. It's, yeah, it's going it's going to be rough. But um, so uh, yeah. you said you agreed that it would be more likely Toronto won the division yes, than yes. missed the playoffs. But those restraints off. Where do you actually see them fitting in the the pack here? Uh, top two. Yeah. Um, I think they're better than Boston and Florida. Um, I think Tampa's still really good. It's hard to bet against them. Um, but uh, if they if they showed up at first, I wouldn't be surprised. I, I like I, I still truthfully think Toronto is a top four team in the league. I think it's they're in that class with Tampa, Colorado, and Vegas for teams that you just you're 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 pretty certain they're coming out of the regular season uh really high in the race whether what happens after that to be honest with all three with, with everyone but tampa is a question though at, at least vegas and colorado won rounds yes um but uh but as far as regular season goes like they they should be really really competitive um barring injuries and and, and freak accidents sort of deal uh just on pure talent i think they're freak decisively near the, the top Leafs, eh? I can't but nine misfortunes <laughs> um why don't we talk just a little bit about the big 4 here cuz that is ultimately going to be what floats or sinks the boat here in Toronto this year. Um, I thought Nylander, whether he gets credit for it or not, this far removed, should have shut up a lot of doubters 
um, in the playoffs last year. Whether that turns out to be the case, we'll see. Uh, John Tavares, um, I think early on in the season last year, had a lot of people starting to point at, uh, we told you he would be starting to slow down, but he finished pretty strong. And even in that stretch, he was nowhere near as bad as a lot of people were wanting to paint it. But at some point, time comes for us all. So we'll see with him. But it's great to see in camp that so far he looks to be himself again. Mitch Marner, anything that might go wrong for him this year, in my mind, is mental. And I say that despite the fact that he missed practice today and we don't really have any details on what that was all about. And Austin Matthews is coming off of a wrist surgery that he had later in the offseason than maybe we would like. And it's got him out for at least the first three games of the season. We'll see after that. Uh, But by most accounts suggest that now that it's done, it shouldn't really impede his progress. So... I don't know what to, uh, I, I expect that the big four will do big four things when they're all in the lineup together. I'm not expecting any huge setbacks, uh, at least until game one of the playoffs when we get there. Um, what is reasonable expectations for, for this group um, that honestly we can talk about who may or may not play on the lines with them, but ultimately those guys are supposed to be secondary. It's this group that will make or break the season. What do you expect from these guys going into opening night? Well, firstly, I, I'm imagining that Kyle Dubas buys uh, both uh, Nylander and Matthews calendars for Christmas um, so that the way they can schedule their um, their various medical procedures on, on, on the right schedule. Uh, on, on, on right I couldn't schedule. believe I mean, that with Willie, just because it, it didn't seem like he's a hardcore anti-vaxxer. I saw someone pretty clever on Twitter at some point. It just seems like the stoner roommate you had in college who forgot to do his homework till the last minute, right? Yeah, like, it's, <laughs> it's kind of something like that, basically. Like, he lives in Sweden, and I, I think because he... Um, because he's technically a re- uh, resident here in Canada, he can't get it uh, the, his second dose here. But he kind of took his time getting back. So yes. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> and, and, and next pandemic, he's got to he's got to time himself better. Um, in a hundred years, one from pandemic now. at a time, Jeff. Yes, um, Matthews, you would have liked to have seen the the surgery happen sooner. But at the same time, it sounds like that was something where they were just really trying to see if they can do it without it. Yeah. And if he's only missing a few games, not the end of the world. Right. I expect I expect good things from for, from everyone. The biggest relief to me is seeing that Tavares looks like he's full speed. Like we all in, on that night had no idea what was in store for him, uh, even in the hours ahead, let alone the weeks and months yeah. ahead. Yeah. Um, so to so to see that he's playing and he looked very good during the preseason uh, to see that he's playing at that level again is is very nice obviously he's starting to get to the age where the age curves were not will not be super pleasant to him though he's not quite at the cliff stage yet so um i think we're still looking at a point of game kind of player out of out of him uh Nylander, if he's able to keep up what he's he has been doing since the late season uh last year and and even a bit of 1920 um they're in good shape. He looks like he did in the playoffs. And again, we think we both agreed that he was probably their best forward yeah. uh, against Montreal. Um, Matthews, uh, I mean, his goal speak for himself. It's going to be hard to bet against him to to not be in the rocket race unless this uh, unless this takes more than the three games mentioned. And Marner, like, it's so weird. And I said this today too. Just like. My opinions on Mitch Marner have not really changed in the past few years, but I've gone from being considered his biggest hater to his biggest defender <laughs> um, just because everybody else around me has changed. I mean, this is a superstar Speaking player. Of pendulums, who's got, right? In, yes. Exactly. Yeah. He's a superstar player who's got an incredible vision for the game. He's got tons of creativity, and he's able to make direct plays that very few players can. Um, 
like you said, a lot of it is is between the ears. And I think there's a thing with him where he he puts it upon himself to kind of be the hero of the team. And I and that's something that's always kind of been the case and something he's always aspired to. And I've, I had an interesting conversation once about, like, is we all talk about wanting these hometown heroes, superstars or whatever, but is it sometimes better to have the mercenary yeah. if the hero's too worried about being the hero? Thankfully, in like a case like Tavares, it seems like he's able to kind of do both mm-hmm. where he really wanted to be home, but once he's on the ice, he's a robot. Uh, so that, <laughs> that kind of works in his favor. But then you look at the way Marner played in the playoffs and it's like it's always trying to force the, these plays and they're always like very direct style plays. Like that's the difference between um, how he plays as a playmaker and how Nylander plays as a playmaker. When Nylander's making plays, it's you're connecting the dots with a few people and it's like six or seven passes before you get to the net. Whereas Marner can carry the puck, look for the guy and almost get you that kind of tap in as people will uh, describe it as. But that could also be to your detriment if too many people are covering you or you're not uh, thinking entirely straight. Um, you're eating up a lot of time to make uh, to make the missed player just barely miss your pass or so on and so forth. Uh, and you're you're shrugging off other opportunities. And I think that's a lot of what kind of happens uh, come playoff time with him recently. It seems like it seems like ever since I want to say it was game two of the 2019 Boston series. I might have the game wrong, but it was early in that series where he blocked the shot for the, the shot block. Yeah, right in the last yeah, minute. And, right. And that, that kind of elevated his status here. Um, with the fan base to even higher than it already was. It seems like ever since that game, um, he's almost been almost chasing the high of uh, of that, and he hasn't been able to replicate it. And I think the second that he kind of goes into it and is just like, no, I, I just gotta, I, I just need to make the next play and work with my teammates, and together we're going to get here. I, I, I don't think it's impossible for him to actually be the hero that he that, that he challenged himself to be. I, he just needs to stop challenging himself to do it and just let it come to him. When he does that, he's one of the best players in the world, and I think he's capable of doing it. It's just a matter of whether he will. Well, I want to ask you quickly before we get out of here about the Leafs power play, and I want to hit you with some over-unders for the Big Four. But since you brought it up here, I think I'm going to switch up the order of the questions I got in front of me. And just I want to talk quickly about the Olympics. Because Mitch Marner is a name that is rightfully in that conversation uh, for guys that may represent Canada. And I've had some conversations. I've seen you have them much more eloquently than me uh, to people much less eloquent than you on Twitter. But (laughs) when you talk about what you would expect out of Mitch Marner at an Olympics, and, and we've touched on this already, the problem is very rarely that he shies away or that he doesn't engage. It's that he you know, clutches his stick a little too tight. He wants to make that perfect play. He's trying to be the hero. So you can have a reasonable conversation about that when wanting to select Mitch Marner to an Olympic hockey team. The the reason why he's been unproductive in the playoffs the last little bit is maybe not as important as the fact that he just has been unproductive in the playoffs for the last little bit. So I sort of understand some people saying, well, do you really want that? Regardless of what his issues are, he's got some issues in high-pressure games. But at the same time, you're talking about a top-five point-getter in the league um, that can also do some elite things on the penalty kill and and you know can kind of play up and down the lineup for Canada if you want. I want to ask you about Tavares in the Olympics as well, but let's start with Marner. Do you expect, you know, and, and anything can change, right? We'll see how the first half of the season goes. But as we sit here today... Do you expect that Mitch Marner would be an Olympic uh, participant this year? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, he's 
probably the second best Canadian winger uh, when you when you go down the list. I, and I know that Canada has uh, been more well, than can comfortable. can change when you move guys like McKinnon to the wing. If you well, yeah, that's to. what I was about to say is Canada's also been very willing to run 12 centers. Yes. But, um, but, he, but other than Marchand, I don't think there's a better winger in Canada. Hmm. Um, and people see what he's able to produce, what the vision that he has. And I think it's going to actually be a very positive opportunity for him to grow, um, similar to what Marchand had at the World Cup when he played with Bergeron and Crosby, uh, two guys that he had already kind of had mentorship with uh, over the years, but it was a chance for them to really execute it on a big stage. And I think that's where he kind of came out and grew into the superstar that he is today um, between playing with them and playing with all these other guys around him and seeing how they um, handled themselves and how they handled the game situations. I think that might be that that might be good for Marner to be with uh, with a whole cast of players who are who are in almost the position that he wants to be in and see how they they act um, as teammates. Um, not that he really needs to be like treated like a schoolchild or whatever, but there's a subconscious. Uh, factor that kind of goes into that, um, and, and I and I think there's there there there's use there. I don't think that the team's gonna be scared of his um, scared away because he has the talent level to succeed. And I think when you when you go through it, he's going to to gain to gain a lot out of it. Where he slots in the lineup is going to be another question altogether. Uh, but it's there. And then when you look at other leaves, because you would ask about Tavares. Um, it's it's a really deep lineup, so it's hard to say for sure, but that's a guy who spent so much time on Team Canada, be it the World Juniors, World Championships, previous Olympic teams. He's got so much history that's going to um, really give him a tiebreaker opportunity in a lot of cases. Um, I think short of... Uh, Short of probably, some, he's some, one of those guys who's going to move to a wing, though, you'd say. Right? Yeah, oh, uh, yeah. almost almost definitely. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he comes in for some draws, but other than that, like, it's going to be very much um, battle for, for one of the last forward spots, but uh, his name is going to carry more weight in the conversation because of his history. Uh, so as long as he's able to keep his uh, competitive ability uh, strong in the NHL level, I think he's got a really good shot at it, too. Uh, besides him for Canada, there's always the... The, the debate about defense, I think uh, in terms of more likely to, to get nominated on just a reputation level, uh, Riley probably has the best shot on the team. Um, but if it were up to me, I'd be considering Jake Muzzin ahead of him. I think yeah. Muzzin is one of the best, uh, the six best Canadian born defensemen in the league uh, right now, but he might not necessarily be what they're looking for. And obviously uh, points jump out at a lot of people and Riley's uh, reputation um, uh, with how he carries himself and all that, it's going to be valuable to him as well. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah, I think I've been back and forth on Riley, to be honest with you. There have been moments over the last couple of years where I thought he was a shoe-in. There's been moments where I thought, oof, I don't know, right? Even in his own end and, and stuff like that. But the left side of the Canadian D right now is certainly in question and in flux. As far as the forwards go, I, I think I agree. But I, I for me... Marner would have to show in the first 40 games, like Marner would have to play his way off the team. I do think there's an element of Tavares having to play his way on. And I do agree there's there's going to be some tiebreakers where he gets the nod because of his history. And frankly, you know, the the way his 2014 Olympics ended was brutal. Uh, yeah. I think you'd like to see him get another opportunity there. But it's probably as a left wing and um, but he's going to have to show early on that his skating's still up to par and that he can still do some things. And he's certainly going to be in that mix, but I don't think he's as much uh, of a shoe in there as as uh, as Marner might be. Yeah, I'd say Marner's a lock 
Tavares is a probably. Well, uh, probably if he's uh, if he if he's he's a coin flip for same, me. I'll tell you, he's probably if he's playing at the same level as he did uh, last year. He's almost definitely if he plays at the same level as two years ago. I'm not exactly expecting that. That was yeah, the best year of his career. <laughs> um, and then and then Riley, we'll we'll, we'll see. I, I'd say he's somewhat likely. Like it, 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 it's weird because you almost kind of want to hedge because you want to you don't want to sound like hey well I've got three got Leafs on Team Canada yeah, exactly. three four three, Leafs yeah. who are Team Canada capable but like there are three or four Leafs that are Team Canada yeah. capable so. It is what it is sometimes, right? Let's stay on Mitch just for a minute because uh, he does seem to be the headline grabber. I just want to talk about the power play. And I've seen some people who I respect quite a bit on Twitter talk about this new setup. And in principle, I do I do like the idea that you're going to just load up. you got all this skill. Put it out there together. Let it play You know, a minute and a half of a two-minute power play and see what happens. But what that's going to look like right now appears to be uh, Morgan Riley on the point. Um Nylander and Matthews on opposite flanks so they can both shoot. Marner in the middle and Tavares down low. And I like the way that's looked. I I cringed repeatedly, and they tried other things, but I cringed repeatedly last year when you would look at that Leafs power play and see Marner and Thornton and Riley all out there with Matthews. You go, I'm putting three penalty killers on Matthews. None of those guys have shots that scare me, right? So now you at least have Willie in there, and Tavares can do some things down low. So I do like it. The criticism that I've seen, and it is interesting to me, and I want to get your take on this, is that Marner in the middle gives him less touches, right? He is the creative guy. He's supposed to be the setup guy. But, you know, it's it's fairly predictable that the, the two outside guys throw it back and forth a fair bit. Um, and maybe, Marner, you're taking away maybe some of his you know, gifts that he brings to that power play by having him touch the puck less in the middle. What do you think of the way they appear to be lining up to run this power play? I mean, it depends. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to touch the puck less. It's It depends on if you're looking at it from a traditional um, view of the bumper, and it's weird to say traditional view of the bumper because people only started really caring <laughs> about the bumper like four years ago. Yeah. But generally, that was someone who might make a quick touch pass back, but you're mostly looking for like the deflection kind of thing. Um, with him, you might, you might just have him moving around a bunch, linking up passes, going back and forth, and looking for that individual play that he can weave. He's, he's obviously a strong, agile skater, um, he's, he doesn't entirely shy away from, from getting, uh, getting a hack or two, uh, on him. Uh, he, they don't necessarily need him to be just the, the tip in guy or whatever. Um, and, and so far it's a, it's looked pretty good. I think the thing with them is just, they're going to have to keep, um, the puck moving and they're going to have to keep teams guessing. And that could even mean just not sticking to one formation. I don't understand why more teams don't have a variety of power play formations, uh, to work from just to keep the other teams guessing like the, I, I think that might have been an issue for the Leafs last year is just, it became such routine. Uh, and because as you mentioned, there weren't too many shooting options. It meant the teams can really dial in on, uh, on limiting quality chances. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, so I, I think there's a lot of versatility available there. Um, if you don't think that Marner's got the shot, then you don't necessarily put him in the shooting spots. And if you worry, he's not going to get too many touches there. I mean, he's going to get the touches at even strength where you spend most of the game. Uh, so I think, I, I think for me, um, I'm open to the idea of him playing the bumper just because he has the ability to, to not just make it a set spot and make it just uh, weave around the middle and, uh, 
and, and try to get guys into different areas and pull away um, pull away some of the uh, defenders um, just with it, with the gravity of how he plays. Guys who want to try to strip the puck from him, if he's able to get it, get a few of them on him and and move it to an empty spot for one more pass or for even for a direct shot there. Um, there, there, there's some options there. So far, I've liked what they've uh, done with it. Obviously, the new, um, the new assistant. I forget his name off the top Spencer of my head. Carberry. I don't know much yes. about him. Uh, yeah, he was, uh, he was Hershey's guy beforehand. Um, obviously, it's his responsibility now. With my whole looking at other spots. Um, I'm surprised uh, he survived. To be honest with you, he was brought in to be the PP whisperer and. He whispered mean, mean things to it. <laughs> I mean, he, he, but he, see, he's still kind of young in league terms, yep. and uh, there, there's still things he can bring to the table. Um, I, I think with like penalty kill and defensive responsibility, face off stuff like that, it's nice to have a guy like him around. Um, that does so, seem like more his area of expertise. To the fact they handed him the power play was odd. Like his, yeah, I think of him as very good defensively, very good face, like all these things, but not necessarily power plays. So. Yeah, I mean, it was something they tried and it didn't work at no. the end of the day. No. Um, so I, I, I'm open to to, to what they, they they got there. At the end of the day, the sticking to the idea of Marner at the bumper, uh, I don't think it's going to look like a traditional bumper, and I think it'll be interesting to see how he he makes use of those touches and maybe it makes him think some stuff uh, differently and adds another layer to his game. So last thing for you then, Jeff, I got four over-unders for you here. Okay. Let's start with Mitch Marner. 93.5 points over or under um obviously assuming 82 games yeah, yeah. uh over I, I i feel pretty confident that he's been producing at such a high level and he's right at that prime age uh it's it, it, it seems likely that it'll be over maybe even close to the 100 spot so this one's a little unfair because we don't know let's assume right now austin matthews is only going to miss the three games could be more but anybody can get hurt at any time so we'll we'll throw this out there Austin Matthews, 49.5 goals. Did the Leafs finally get another 50-goal guy? Oh, yes. Uh, I, and I, I, I'm, I, I'm answering all these questions assuming pace of 82. Yes. So, yeah. so if, if he's like 49 in 78 games, you can't <laughs> rub it on me. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, he, I mean, he was at a pace of, what, like 63 last year? Yeah. And, the, it, and it seemed like it was a legitimate 63. He was... He was shooting a little bit over his career average, I think, but he was scoring from lethal areas, and he's just the most versatile shooter in the game right now. Um, as long as, uh, as I was going to set it higher, I was going to set it at yeah. 53, 50 foot, but we haven't cracked 50 for a leaf for a long yeah, time. Yeah, no, so. that's that, that's completely that's completely <laughs> fair. Uh, if you, if we want to do a second over on the fly of uh, of 54.5 sure. because the record. In Toronto is uh, there you go. is fifty four, I believe, Vive and uh, Andrew Chuck. But um, I think I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't rule that out either. I th- I think he's going to play at a pace in the mid fifties, close to sixty. Uh, just going to be a matter of games played. John Tavares thirty four point five goals. It's a good one. Yeah, I uh, think I landed that one pretty nice. If he, can he hit that thirty five goal mark again? I'm going to say it's going to be like a slight. Uh, <laughs> man, 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 man! Because, like, I think he's got—I think he's got the talent to do sure. it. I just don't—I just don't know. He's gonna get back down low on that loaded power play. Never well, know. Yeah, it, it's it, it's where he is on the power play. It's that even strength. That is Nylander gonna be the shooting threat? Is someone else in the line gonna be the shooting threat? Is Michael Bunting just gonna take all the pucks from him? <laughs> um, 
I'm going to go a slight under on the caveat that I think he's going to get a lot of assists this year. Okay. And William Nylander, we got a nice one here. 69.5 points this year. Um, let's go over. He'll go, he'll, he'll go mid seventies. Okay. I like that. Uh, Jeff, tell us about the website. Tell people where they can find your work. Um, my website is the face off circle, face off circle.ca. Um, I don't, I don't publish on there anywhere near as often as I should, but I'm trying to fix that of, uh, of late. Uh, I got some other stuff, uh, under wraps that might come around, come around soon. So stay tuned for that. Um, and in the meantime, if you just want to see me in small doses for the time being, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Jeff Fayette, J E F F V as in Victor E I L L E T T E. We'll share all those links in the show notes, of course, at tallcanaudio.com. Uh, really appreciate this, Jeff. Uh, you've been on a few times to do this now. Uh, very thorough analysis, and uh, I do enjoy the uh, the Twitter follows. Sometimes I just sit back and watch as uh, some of the, the clowns. Burns. The sound, well, yeah, but the, sometimes the clowns just roll in and have to be slapped down like the now do the playoffs one today that uh, just yeah. tickled me just right. Yeah, it was, it's a chaotic place, but sometimes they can produce some gems. Um, really appreciate this as always, like I said, we'll share, uh, all the links on our social media feeds at tall can audio and in the show notes, uh, for episode eight ninety at TallCanAudio.com. Thanks so much for doing this, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. And, uh, we will see you all on Thursday morning for the Ottawa senators tee up Graham Nichols. The sixth sends will be here. Uh, you can check out his work at gnichols.substack.com. Uh, good friend of the show. He's done this a few times for us as well. So stick around for that one. If the sends are more your deal, uh, we appreciate you checking this out for Jeff. My name's Matt and we will see you all next time. It is over. Now that's a tasty beverage. Thanks for listening. You can get more TCA at TallCanAudio.com or by searching TallCanAudio on your favorite podcast app.